Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with you this day and throughout eternity. Amen. This morning we continue in our series of times of 40. 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. Today, 40 years. Thus far, we've seen Jesus tempted on the mountain for 40 days. The flood account where the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was up on the mountain at Mount Sinai last week, receiving the law from God in this communion with God place for 40 days, during which the people of Israel got distracted, to say the least. And today we wander with Israel, not 40 days, but 40 years. In 1993, I think it was at least, my family was in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. It was connected to when Paula and I were starting our time touring with a band, and there was training for the different bands that were part of this ministry organization called Youth Encounter. That um, We had come together in Minnesota. We had had a time of training, and then there was a commissioning for us, and I think that's when it was. My dad will correct me later if I'm wrong on any of these details, because he, he remembers all this stuff. All the details. And what he remembered were details from a couple years earlier that there was this ice cream parlor in Minneapolis that we'd been to a couple years before. And so in 1993, we were going to go back because that was good ice cream. And, you know, good ice cream is worth going back for. And so we started driving. We didn't know the name of the place. We didn't have a street name that it might be located on, so we started driving in Minneapolis, which is not a small town. (laughs) And we looked and looked and drove up this street and down that street and now some cross streets, and it was a while, looking for ice cream. Sometimes we wander. Sometimes in our lives we wander. The people of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and this is probably among the 40 time frames in the Bible, one of the more well-known and also one of the more important, significant in the history and story of the people of Israel is the 40 years of wandering the wilderness. This is something that is, we're reminded of, and again and again in Scripture it comes back to this part of the narrative that for 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness waiting for the promised land. It was their disobedience that led to the punishment. So here's the storyline, just in case the kind of how this all took place isn't quite familiar. So the exodus happened, that's when the people of Israel had been in Egypt and captivity and slavery for 400 years, and and so they're brought out, and that's the whole Exodus experience, all the plagues and the Passover, all that happens, and they come out of Egypt, and then there's, you know, the crossing of the sea, and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and all that God is doing, right? And they come to Sinai, to the mountain, and, and so that was only a couple of months to get there from Egypt to Sinai. 
And, and then Moses is up on the mountain for the 40 days, and we talked about that last week. And he comes down in the golden calf, and the tablets get thrown and shattered and all of that experience. And God was ready then. He was like, I'm done, right? You know, have you had, have you had that moment as parents where you're just like, I'm frustrated with my kid or kids, right? That moment, or with, maybe with a friend, where you're like, I'm done. I can't have this relationship anymore. You just keep taking advantage of me. You just keep bringing me down. You just keep doing things that aren't right. You, some, there's a limit, right? <laughs> have you reached your limit? Have sometimes you been like, it's, that's it, and ready to... That's what God was... He was there, right? And he says that. He's like, I am finished with these people. And Moses says, well, you brought them out of Egypt, and you know, now if you do something drastic, people are going to know. <laughs> You're going to get a bad reputation, God. If you bring out your people and then you just wipe them out, then what will people think? And God relents from his anger and forgives them for their for their sin with the golden calf, but that is not what led to the 40 years, actually. They go from Sinai further into the wilderness, and, you know, at that point, God's kind of already, he's already had the last straw, right? But there's a few more episodes, and you reach the middle of Numbers. So Numbers, so the Bible, you know, the books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, which is where we were last week. The rest of the book of Exodus is actually... Um, here are all the rules and laws and, and instructions for people, not just how to live, but also how to build a tabernacle and how to you know, create the Ark of the Covenant and the altar and the furnishings and the curtains and the, all the things that they needed, right? So they were going to build all the things and create all the things that God had designed in the book of Exodus. Then Leviticus is some more um, rules and instructions and priesthood instructions and and things like that. And then you reach, uh, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then you reach Numbers. And Numbers, the first part of it, so if you've not read through the first part of it, I understand. It's census details, right? Do you want to read the U.S. census from 2020? Probably not. Um, that's probably a little bit more complicated in numbers and names and whatever. So the first part of Numbers, that's what it is. And there's some details in there that are kind of fascinating, but it's a lot of details, and until you kind of sort through some of that, it can be tedious, which makes sense. But you get through that part, and, and further in, then there's moving on from Sinai and the arrival at Kadesh. And then spies enter the land, and that's in Numbers chapter 13. God has promised this land, right? the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that you're going to inherit. And, and the people knew about this land. Generations and generations have passed since God made the promises and, you know, Exodus and, and after 400 years. So people had heard stories and they were probably somewhat legendary, right? Oh, there's this land, the land of our fathers, the land that we're going to go to. So they've made it now. They're at, the, they're at the threshold of the land, and spies enter the land to check it out, including Caleb and Joshua and ten others, and they come back 
after 40 days of exploring the land. So there's the first 40 of this part of the narrative, of this part of the history. And Numbers 13, beginning in verse 32, says this, They brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Joshua and Caleb were like, wait a second, no, 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 hold on. <laughs> That's not the whole story. Yes, it's a great land and there's big people and all that, but God is with us. Let's go. But because 10 of the spies were more concerned about the height of the enemy than the presence of God, the people were like, ooh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we should go. I don't think we should go into the land. God has brought them all that way, and they're like, oh, I don't know. It wasn't that long ago that he parted the sea and took care of Pharaoh's army, right? Who was coming after them, who could have overpowered them, and all the things that would have happened. But God took care of that. Remember? Right? And I, I think that's probably where Moses and Aaron and other leaders were. were like, seriously? Ugh. And that's definitely where God was. Because when the people rebelled and refused to enter the land, God was again like, ah, I'm done. And Moses intervenes yet again. God pardons but promises punishment. No one who is greater than 20 years old except for Caleb and Joshua and at that point, Moses would enter the land. They wouldn't get to go. They wouldn't get to see it. All of this promise, all of this potential, all of the ways that God had carried them and brought them and, and had prepared them, rescued them, redeemed them, fought for them, and they wouldn't see the fulfillment of that promise because they had broken faith with God and refused to trust in Him. Now, for us, it's easier to point our fingers at Israel and go, oh, my gosh, how can they be so stupid? How can they be so short-term memory? Right? I mean, even micro-short-term, because it wasn't that long ago. Come on, Israel. You're eating manna. You don't know where that comes from, but you're feeding on that every day. And you've come this far, and God has done what he's done, and you've seen his mighty hand and his outstretched arm and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and all the things. God's right there. But we stray from the path we should follow. Remember when we all followed maps? Now it's, you know, there's a GPS almost everywhere. A lot of vehicles have them built in, so it's right there in the dashboard, and you just tap, 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 or push a button and tell your car where you want to go, and it's like, okay, we're not far from where it's just going to drive you there, right? They're working on that. But there was a day when we would use maps. You still do. Good for you. 
I think I should teach my kids how to use maps because they're just not even going to learn. Yeah. To go from point A to point B, and, and there was, you know, back then there was no voice guidance to say, you know, in, in two miles, take the right-hand lane and be in the exit, be ready for this. It's coming up. It's there. So in 1993, my dad had a map in his head. We'd been to this place before. How many, how many can find a place? If you've been there once, you can go back. A, a couple, a few, a few people. I can get close, kind of, maybe. One time, so Paula was going to come visit some relatives of mine, and I was already there, and I was on the phone with her. And so I was telling her, this is how you go. You drive down Harrison and you turn right on Race Road or something. It was one of those things like we have here where if you are on this side of the intersection, it's Piedmont Road, and this side of the intersection, it's Evans Road. And if you keep going up there, you're on Jacklin Road, and you just went straight. That's all you did. And then if you keep going on Jacklin, you're on Abel. And if you go down Piedmont, you're on White. Why? I don't know. It was one of those kind of roads. And so I gave her instructions. This is how you do it. You know, you drive down there, and then you turn right on such and such, and then you go down for a while. I said, probably a couple miles, and you'll see such and such. Then you turn, and like an hour and a half or something later, she was in a phone booth, and I was in trouble. <laughs> Because the road name changed, and I didn't know, so the right turn was not on the road I told her, and so she had driven around and around. We wander. We get lost. We get distracted. When we follow the directions that we think we know, we might not end up where we're supposed to go. When you don't know the name of the ice cream parlor you're looking for, you can't really ask anybody. I mean, you can put the window down and say, hey, where, you can, where can you get ice cream? But they might send you to Dairy Queen. They might send you to Baskin Robbins. You just don't know. We're looking for the one place. It's just this one, not a chain. If you don't know it, you don't know it. <laughs> Maybe you have your favorite. That's not what we're looking for. We kept driving and looking. Just last night, I was going into a place, and I was going by memory, and I'm driving down Piedmont Road, and I should have turned at Hofstetter, and I didn't because I was distracted and not thinking about where I was going. I was in a conversation. And then I got to Sierra, and I was like, oh, I should have turned. Sometimes we do that. Life is like that. We know where we are going. We know kind of how to get there. We know what we should be doing. We have this map in our heads of how we're to live, how we're supposed to be going about our lives, but do we always go on the way we should? We follow the map in our head, right? And, and that map in our head isn't always all the details that we need. doesn't have all the street names, all the instructions, all the details laid out exactly right. Because the map in our heads can easily get distorted, confused. And so we go our own way. We're tempted to go down the side street, 
to stray from, from the beaten path. Maybe we think we're taking a shortcut from time to time. Or we willfully decide. Just once, just this once. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to take that route through this part of my life to see where it goes. When God's instructions tell us something different. When God's map for our lives give us a, gives us a, a different direction to go from what, we, from what we actually do. In John chapter 3, we heard these words. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's it. That's us. We go down the dark way. We go down the path we shouldn't follow. We go down the, to the place we shouldn't go. And it's, it's because we all sin. By nature and by choice, it's our human condition. But here's the reality. God still guides. God punished Israel 40 years in the wilderness. That sounds like separation from God, right? That sounds like he just turned away, like you're on your own. I'm done with you. I'll be over here. Come back to me when you're ready. That's not what God said, and that's not what God did. If we pay attention to what the 40 years were like, yes, there was punishment. But God led Israel through their time in the wilderness. You follow through the book of Numbers. Numbers 21, there's the bronze snake on a pole, and Jesus mentions that here in John chapter 3 that there were vipers around, and Moses was like, ah, what do we do? Make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, people look at it, they're fine. God was right there, providing for them. God was right there, they had manna to eat. And when they complained about the manna, they got quail. And there was water to drink. And when there was no water, Moses spoke to the rock. Well, oops, Moses struck the rock with the staff, still in numbers. And that was Moses' mistake that led for, to him not being allowed to enter the land. That's numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers. Deuteronomy, now, this is the chapter we're in this morning, in chapter 8, this is Moses delivering the farewell speech and telling people, you've come through 40 years in the wilderness, and he reminds people, this is verse 2, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. God did not abandon his people. Even when there was punishment, even when there was humbling, their clothing didn't wear out, their feet didn't swell. God was with them day after day after day. Leading, guiding, encouraging, supporting, providing all through that time. And God guides us even when we wander. So in 1993, my dad had this good sense of where the ice cream was. Maybe a couple of landmarks in his mind. Like, uh, it kind of felt like this, here near this lake, which if you're in Minnesota, that's practically everywhere. But kind of the way the hill was and the way the buildings looked and we kind of had an idea. 
Last night, when I missed the turn, a real quick tap, tap, tap on the GPS, and we were, here's the path, which actually just took me back to where I should have turned anyway. When we stray from God's lead, our conscience is there to remind us that we've gone astray, that we've strayed from the path, and the Spirit is there to lead us. The Word is there to guide us. God doesn't leave us even when we leave him. God doesn't abandon us even when we abandon him. When we've been really off the path, when we have sinned, Jesus is there to restore us. See, God didn't leave his people in the wilderness, and he doesn't leave us now. For all who believe and follow, the promised land is waiting. The promised land is waiting. For the people of Israel, it should have taken, I think, 11 days (laughs) to go from Egypt to the land. And it took 40 years. Have you felt like that sometimes? This shouldn't take this long. (laughs) But there's a promise in the future. Maybe we felt like that lately. The beginning of this year-long time, it was supposed to be like three weeks. Remember that? Oh, we're going to close down the schools for the next three weeks. Oh, we're going to shut everything down for the next three weeks. Here we are. One year. One year this weekend, actually. Right? It was the 13th of March that we heard schools were going to be shut down. That was yesterday. It's been a year. One year. I'm glad we don't have 39 more. At least I certainly hope we don't. Right, But when you're going through something and there's a promise waiting for you, as you get closer and closer to it, there's a hope, there's an energy, there's an expectation of what is yet to come. The people of Israel were at the threshold. They endured 40 years, and God was with them through that experience. But they were about to enter the land, the land. This is what Moses tells them, verse, beginning in verse 7. And then... Parts of verses 7 through 10. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of brooks of water, fountains and springs. Remember how they were in this dry and weary land and there wasn't water to drink? Moses is like, guess what? There's water. Flowing out of the valleys and the hills, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. You've been, you've been going out every day and picking up this manna stuff, you'll eat bread. Remember bread. You can eat bread in that land without scarcity in which you will lack nothing. They have felt the lack for 40 years in this experience. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. See, God keeps his promises. Land that was promised to Abraham and to his descendants. That was the promise that was hanging over them through the time of slavery. The promise that was hanging over them as they come out. And the promise that was there for them through 40 years. They were about to receive it. It was remembered by Israel. It was accomplished by God's work. For us, we anticipate eternity. We anticipate arrival. 
after a couple of taps on the GPS, following the directions, reach the destination. 1993, we found the place. And the ice cream was really good. I don't know if it's still there, and I don't remember the name of it or the street that it's on, and I have no idea even of the neighborhood where to tell you to look if you ever are in Minneapolis and you're you know, thinking ice cream sounds good. We anticipate entering God's presence that will make arriving at the destination last night and the ice cream that we tasted, those are nothing in comparison to being in God's presence that he promises. Probably the best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal According to his promise, accomplished by his work, waiting for us as we follow the Lord in trust, in hope, in anticipation of what he is yet to do. When Jesus comes back and restores all things, the risen one whose death was for us, whose resurrection was also for us will come to restore, and the land will be everywhere, and we will be in it. Until that time, we continue to follow God. Through our time in this wilderness of life, we strive to follow, to follow closely, trusting in the Lord, knowing that God keeps his promises. We strive to live lives of faithful obedience guided by the Spirit of God. We'll probably wander. It's in our nature. But God is faithful. In his name. Amen.